0: and we start to then see real pointed application to our own lives. And so it kind of follows that pattern, as you'll often see, of of doctrine into application. We hit that transition today in verse 19. Pastor Adam has been working now for a few months getting us through considering Jesus Christ. We consider him and consider his work and his person on our behalf. And so, if you're new with us, we've spent some time now laboring through Hebrews looking at uh, all of the old covenant and looking at the law and looking at the sacrificial system and the priests and the ceremonies and all that took place there under the old covenant. And we see what it failed to do, and what it failed to do was to once and for all perfect the believer. We see it, it failed not because it was insufficient, but we, it failed because that wasn't its purpose. It was pointing us to something new, to something better, and that is Jesus Christ. And so all along it's been pointing us to Jesus Christ. And we've seen through Hebrews all the way through that Jesus Christ is better. But Jesus Christ is now on the scene, there is something new, and it changes everything. But Jesus Christ is here, and it changes everything. And that should affect the way we live it's not as if we get through this doctrinal process and this is what the writer of, of Hebrews is really, he, he's preaching a sermon here, writing a sermon and, and he's telling us, okay, I, I've labored to show you, here's who you once were, here, here's who you were as the people of God and here's how you live before your God. The presence of God sealed off in a way by that curtain between the holy of holies access through sacrifices that took place in a very specific way in a very specific time by sinners who had to cleanse their own sin and offer for their own their own sin, offer sacrifices before they could approach God only to be repeated again and again and again never to perfect the conscience he's saying now Jesus is here everything changes, this is new this is better now don't just hear it and walk out And act like it doesn't change everything. It should change your life. He's going to give us three specific ways, and the text really provides us its own outline this morning, but three specific ways that as we consider Jesus Christ, as we consider him as our perfect sacrifice, our perfect high priest, how he changes everything, what that should result in in our lives. And those three things, you find them in verses 22, 23, and 24. And they all start there with that, let us. So the three main points are, let us draw near to God, verse 22. Let us hold fast to our confession, verse 23. Let us consider one another, verse 24. And these really all work together. And we're going to look, once again, in this second part of Hebrews 10 and moving on, We're moving through application, commands, and warning passages again. There's lots of warnings in Hebrews. There's five kind of warning passages. And as the apostle writes a sermon, he kind of weaves his way in and out. He does so between promise, command, and warning. Promise, command, and warning. All of it pointing to Jesus Christ. For us to consider Jesus Christ, that he is better, that he changes everything... And that should then change our lives in order for us to persevere till the end, in order for us to make it. And the promises serve us, and the warnings serve us. They don't stand in competition, they serve one another. In the midst of it, these commands of how we should live. And so as we get to Hebrews 10, next week we'll come to verse 26 and going on, and there's some very strong warning passages in there, some scary strong warnings. And our job then will be to approach it and to take the warning without forgetting the promise, yet at the same time not brushing aside the warning. And that's a challenge for us as believers as we, as we approach those passages. And our section here now kind of serves as an as a, a applicational point between the promise, between uh, the, what we've heard and what we've seen of Jesus Christ, and as we get to the warning, and now there's this, this transitional applicational section for us. And it all is kind of working towards and feeding our perseverance, feeding our sanctification that we will finish the race that is set before us, that we will endure to the end. So it all works together. When you come to verse 19, as good students of the word, you know that when you see therefore, it starts there, therefore, or you see since. We know that, okay, we're making a transition, but we're not to forget what has happened in the past. We're not to forget what has already taken place. So verses 19 through 21 kind of lay the foundation. It's a review of all that we've seen to this and lays the foundation for the three uh, let us commands going forward. Verses 19 through 21, let's look at that together. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So here's our foundation for the commands that lay before us, is we have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have confidence to come before God because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been considering, considering Jesus, considering that. So as he lays out commands, he tells us it's on this basis. You have confidence. Your confidence doesn't rest on your performance this week. It rests on the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Francis Schaeffer, uh, uh, an apologist and theologian, he writes, the central message of biblical Christianity is the possibility of men and women approaching God through the work of Christ. Let thing sink in. Confidence to approach a holy, perfect, triune God. A God who in the Old Testament says, if sin stands before me for a minute, I'll destroy it. I'll wipe it out. No sin can stand before me. Perfect, holy, sovereign God. Now, how in the world do we stand before that God, let alone do it boldly and with confidence? It's because Jesus Christ has changed everything. He's made a way. Realizing this, knowing this, understanding this confidence that we have, we we have to get it, we have to know it if we're going to to live a free and a successful Christian life. That you're not bound up by fear and bound up by guilt, bound up by legalism. But you boldly approach God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So we celebrate the cross. we've, We've come to understand the difference between the gospel and the law and what that means for us. And so he's telling them, therefore, when you move on, when you walk out these doors and live today, this should... Jesus changed everything. It should change the way you live. You boldly come before the face of God. He continues here. He says you do it by a new and a living way in verse twenty that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. There is referring back as you think through that gospel stories as Matthew and Mark recounted that beautiful part of the of the passion of Jesus Christ as he hangs there on the cross and his life is beginning to pass from him. And it talks about the curtain that separates uh, the holy place from the holies of holies and it was ripped in half from top to bottom. We see what's signified there, this, this curtain that has blocked the presence of God, that they experienced it, that they, had, they were graciously given the presence of God but in a veiled way, and that the priest could only enter in a very specific way, in a, a very specific ceremony. And then you sin tomorrow and he's got to do it again. And he's got to do it again. And then that priest is going to die. And and that sacrifice that is offered, it's consumed by fire. It's gone. So now we have to find a new lamb. And over and over and over again. But now we boldly approach him by a new and a living way. That is a living priest, a living prophet, a living sacrifice that as we've seen was offered once and for all who lives to intercede and make intercession pleading for us before the throne of God. That's why in verse 21 it says that we have a great priest over the house of God, a living priest who lives and pleads for us, who stands as our representative, who as we looked at in our catechism today bore the wrath that we deserved, that we might know grace, we might know mercy, So as we get into now our three admonitions of how we should live, we live this way because Jesus has changed everything. You boldly approach God because of Jesus, not because you were worth it this week, not because you had a good week of devotions or you finally got up the courage to evangelize or whatever it might be. Boldly approach because of Jesus Christ. All right, so now our three admonitions. Verse 22: Let us draw near to God. God wants us to draw near to Him with gospel-based confidence. Because the idea of of our our worship, you can put drawing near to God in the context of worship, of coming into the presence of God, of approaching God and approaching Him boldly and confidently, drawing near to God. I think we've talked about this before, but the, the devil cripples us in our growth, in worship, in prayer. When we start thinking, you know, God doesn't want me to come to him right now because, you know, he knows how I talked to my spouse yesterday. He knows that, you know, I wasn't really completely honest with this, and, you know, it's been a really bad week for me spiritually. So we come in, and somehow we can think in our minds, well, it'll honor God if, like, I punish myself. So I'll just sit here. I won't sing. I won't really engage. God doesn't want to hear from me. There's a sense in which you need to confess your sin and not live as a hypocrite, obviously. But it is crippling to think that your performance is what allows you to boldly draw near to God. It's in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your sin, that you need to boldly draw near to God, it calls us to a life of worship. That's what we were made to be as God worshippers. And drawing near to God is when we really find our identity of who we are to be, God-glorifiers, God-worshippers. You think of those, maybe a, a musician who's just incredibly naturally talented on the, the piano. They can be playing in front of thousands of people and they seem to just lose themselves in the music. That's where they find themselves and that's where they lose themselves. Or those people who like running. And for me, it's like, you know, It's not just like torture and agony and you hate yourself the whole time you're doing it. But those people who actually enjoy it, with a different body type than mine, and you see them out there running and, you know, maybe they get up early on that morning, they're running down by the river, the sun's coming up, it's perfect temperature, and it's just, you know, they lose themselves in it. That's where they find themselves. That's where they lose themselves in it. They love that. Drawing near to God is that same thing. We were created to be worshipers, God worshipers. Drawing near to God, you find your identity and you lose yourself in it. I think we have those experiences from time to time. Where you're just captured by the glory and the beauty of God. So we're told to draw near, but we're told how to do it. There's a specific set of rules for us as we draw near to God. Let's look at the text. It says, let us draw near with a true heart. This is a heart that relates to God adoringly, a heart that is undivided, a heart that has its affections set properly, that has its its view set on, on God, approaching God with a true and undivided heart. We approach in full assurance of faith as one that believes the promises of God. one that heeds the warnings of God. It is hard, it's a life that finds justification and peace and mercy in the work of Jesus Christ that operates on belief, not on performance. You believe Jesus Christ, full assurance of faith. You draw near with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. If you remember, as we've gone through, we've seen several times what what the law fails to do, what the old covenant failed to do, was to perfect the conscience of the sinner. Jesus Christ changes everything. (laughs) You draw near through the person and through the work and through the promises of Jesus Christ. Again, not a a performance-based drawing near as if you've earned it this week or you haven't earned it this week. But Jesus Christ earned it for you. And you approach in Him. And the fourth, with our bodies washed with pure water. There's a reference here to baptism. It's talking about what what God accomplishes, what is symbolized in the water of baptism, of the renewal of the Holy Spirit, of being raised to walk in newness of life. This imagery, this wording is, is borrowed from the new covenant language in Ezekiel. I'm going to read a couple of verses. It's Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 24. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You see the imagery here. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. It's a heart that comes dependent upon the Holy Spirit, trusting in the Holy Spirit that's been set free from sin and now it is walking in a new pathway. Not one that is yet completely perfect because in these bodies of flesh that we have, we always struggle with sin and temptation. But one is fully geared and directed, dependent on the Spirit to follow Christ, to obey Him. And so here's the first admonition We consider Jesus. We consider everything that He has accomplished in His death, making us a, a, a way, accepting the wrath of God, and giving us forgiveness and peace, giving us access to boldly enter the, before God. And now the command is so let us draw near let us do it in worship let us do it through the ordinary means that he gives us through the word through prayer through fellowship with other believers and through the sacraments don't set those aside don't come to your times of prayer and your your times of worship and your times of fellowship with the mindset of have I earned it today but you boldly come in the name of Jesus Christ So we are called to approach God and worship with undivided affections and intentions in our heart. That's hard to do, isn't it? You come in to worship in the morning to come with undivided attention and affection. With assurance and confidence that our acceptance comes through the work of Jesus. With hearts that are trusting in the forgiveness that is ours through Christ. Hearts that treasure Christ. And then with renewed hearts relying on the Holy Spirit, trusting in His work and His leading. Jesus changes everything. Let us draw near. Our second command in verse 23 then is let us hold fast the confession. Let us hold fast to our confession. So we're told to draw near and now we're told to hold fast to our confession. Hold fast has the idea of of. Obviously, like fastening your grip, being not lazy, not not distracted and reaching off to the side. So it would be kind of, you set your compass north and you follow it. You're, you're undistracted. You're not reaching out other places, reaching to find meaning or joy in other places, but holding fast to what is real, what is true. The idea of confession there, hold fast to your confession, has the idea of a kind of a a public, substantive statement of truth, very similar to what we do with the catechism. Holding fast to truth. You know, in in America, especially in American churches, truth is not prized, (laughs) especially truth that is clearly stated and you want to offend people and make them mad, just try to clearly articulate your faith. Try to clearly articulate truth. That's the last thing that people want to do. That is so unpopular now. And especially a truth that comes with it, a clear distinction of here's what we believe, and that there's blessings attached to believing and obeying that truth, and that there's consequences attached to not believing it and not obeying it. One of us is right and one of us is wrong, type of truth. And there's, in the American church, it hasn't completely disappeared, but it almost has disappeared. Not only do you not explicitly state your truth, but you don't dare say that someone else's truth, when it, you know, might not be okay for them. Now we're told, okay. Because of Jesus Christ, because we've considered Jesus Christ, for our perseverance, in order to endure to the end, draw near to Christ and hold fast to that truth. Don't let it go. Hold fast to that confession. This idea of paying attention, of holding fast to truth is not new. We've seen it all through Hebrews. Just a quick review. Hebrews 2, we're encouraged to pay close attention to how it is that we're living, what it is we're believing. Chapter 3 and chapter 4, we're told to take great care. Again, nurturing that faith. Chapter 5 and chapter 6, we're told to be fervent, to be sincere, to not be sluggish, to not be lazy in our pursuit of Christ. Later in chapter 10, we'll see not to shrink back. Chapter 12, we're told to put off sin. Run with endurance. Flip to chapter 3, if you will, real quick. And we'll see just how closely this idea of holding fast is connected to our perseverance. When I say perseverance, that is to your enduring salvation, to genuine faith. Genuine faith is faith that endures to the end. Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 6. Same language, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You see the, the, how the language works there? Right now you are a son of God if in the end you're enduring. <laughs> it's not saying you, it might slip away from you if you're a child of God that he's not faithful this saying the test of the genuineness of your faith right now is if in the end you're still enduring. Chapter 3, verse 14. Again, for we share in Christ right now, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm and to the end. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession Draw near and hold fast. Jesus changes everything. Don't walk away from it. Don't give up truth just to not offend somebody or or to be more popular or whatever it might be. Draw near, hold fast. And we see the basis for this unwavering hope. Again, pointing us back to Jesus in Hebrews 10 again now. Verse 23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. You're not going to be unwavering and totally faithful. We're so up and down, aren't we, in our lives? Our spiritual energy and our, our enthusiasm and, and trust in Christ seems to go up and down. But he who has called us is faithful. We've seen that build all through Hebrews. I mean, Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron. He's greater than the high priest. He's greater than the sacrifices. Jesus is better. He's sovereign. We see that in chapter 4. Our sin is before his face, and yet because of Jesus Christ, he offers us mercy and grace. God does not sin. Chapter 6, it is impossible for God to lie. Chapter 7, the Lord does not change his mind. Chapter 10, we've seen he is the once-for-all sacrifice. Chapter 13, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You hold fast because Jesus is faithful. He is faithful to his promise. Foundation to our hope is God himself. As I was thinking through this, I think, you know, there's a bit of just, you know, kind of ugly, raw truth here in the Christian life. The Christian life isn't, you know, there, there's, out there, there's that promise that the Christian life is just like all happy, smooth sailing, yippy skippy, you don't, you know, everything is good. And that's a lie. <laughs> I mean, the New Testament is very clear that that's a lie. there's It's not smooth sailing, and typically it's not long periods of smooth sailing before you hit some sort of bump in the road. And there's times when you draw near and you experience that closeness with God, and then there's other times where it really just feels like you're just holding on. You'll have those moments. Sometimes there are extended periods in your life, and the call is to hold fast because God is faithful. Not because you always feel like it. Not because you always perform like you're supposed to. Because God is faithful. Don't give up. Don't take your eye off the prize. Don't quit considering Jesus. Hold fast. It might not be the most beautiful thing to watch. You know, it's not It's kind of like, again, me running. I can finish, but, you know, it's not going to be pretty. But just keep on going. Just keep on trucking. You know, it might not always be beautiful, but hold fast. So let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And then verse 24, let us consider one another. Our Third application here. Let us consider one another. Depending what text you have, it probably reads a little differently, what translation you have there mind reads, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's a, a bit of an odd way to translate uh, from the Greek to the English. It's hard to bring all the, the emphasis in. But kind of we've been told, we've given this command one other place, chapter 3, verse 1, consider Jesus. Same word, same idea there with consider. And it has the idea of, of looking at, studying, pondering, taking time to to figure out. So when we say to consider Jesus, it's not just like give him a passing thought. It is to look at him, to study, to come to understand, to know, to to take some time. So in this chapter 3, verse 1, we're told to consider Jesus. Jesus is the object of our considering. Here the, the object of our considering is one another. We are to consider one another. It's that same force of idea. To take time to look at, to figure out, to understand, to get to know. With a very specific means in the end, and that is to stir up one another to love and good works. So it has the idea of consider one another with the goal of stirring up, with the stirring up of love and good works in one another. You see the flow? Considering Jesus needs to lead us to considering one another. This is the kind of discipleship and fellowship that isn't just simple and easy, and if, it, you, know, if you happen to become friends with someone, you happen to. This is intentional, time-consuming, sacrificial friendship and love, brother and sister in Christ. To take the time to get to know someone, to learn their needs, to to figure them out, to understand them. And not just like the one person in the church who's the most like you. But to truly take time to consider one another. It's not like a personality thing. I think we use that as a cop-out. I'll just give you, like, no one is like completely unselfish and that's just their natural tendency is well I just, you know, they just like giving up every Saturday to help somebody. I don't, so I won't. <laughs> you know, it might not be your natural tendency. Maybe you feel like you don't need it as much. Maybe you're just, you know, I'm comfortable by myself, not talking to anyone and that's just how it is. I get it. It might be more difficult for some of us than others. Personalities tend one way or the other. But if you consider Jesus Christ, you need to move on to consider one another and stirring up one another for love and good works. It's not just, you know, optional or saved for the outgoing person. You know, that takes some time and some effort. That can mean you sacrifice a day off here or there. It can mean that it might cost you some money. It might, you might get involved in things that, you know, you're not super pumped about. But you do it for the sake of one another, for the sake of warming their affections and their hearts for Jesus Christ, and then to stir them up to move forward in their perseverance, move forward in their obedience, move forward in their demonstration of love. Thoughtfulness needs to be given to that, not just considering yourself, but considering one another. How do I consider that person, and how do I get involved in their life? Not in a meddling, annoying way, but how do I get involved in their life? The idea of stirring up one another to love and good works. I think it's easiest for us to get the the force of that when we think of it in a negative sense. It has the idea of, like, provoking or instigating. Yeah, you see that with kids. Obviously not your kids, but um, like in other churches where there's kids, you know you see like two little kids interacting the parent walks around the corner like one of the other kids just kind of stares blankly and knocks the toy out of their hand it's just like just to get a rise like what's going to happen now get the reaction like adults do it but we're just more sophisticated we do it like passively aggressively on facebook or something you know we i know what i'll say i always preach against facebook if you're new here i every time i apply it to facebook but uh So that's the idea negatively, that's the idea of that instigating, provoking. Only now we're talking about it in a positive way of thinking, considering one another of how can I instigate them, provoke them to warm their heart and affections for Jesus Christ, to warm their heart and their affections for the, the church, for the things of Christ, to stir them up to move forward in their sanctification, in their growth, in their living out their faith. How can I study them and figure them out and give time and energy and thought for that very specific thing? You consider Jesus, you consider him as your great high priest and as your prophet, he changes everything for you. Now don't walk out and pretend like it doesn't happen, like it doesn't mean anything. Because you have confidence to boldly enter him, before him, draw near and do it with undivided affections. Hold firm to that confession. Consider one another how to stir up that love, how to stir up good works in others. So we kind of work through those three admonitions, and then he finishes here in verse 25. So, okay, We've seen what Christ is. We see how he changes everything for us. Now we see these three commands, let us draw near, let us hold fast. See how We're supposed to draw near, hold fast, what that means, let us consider one another. But now what can I put in my life that when I leave, I, I actually have some things I can put into my life to help me accomplish this, to help me be obedient? And they're pretty simple, but here they are. Not neglecting to meet together. Or to say it positively, meet together. I was joking with someone beforehand. You know, Memorial Day weekend, I don't know, there's like 50 people that are normally here that aren't here, so I'm going to have to preach this again next week so they can, you know, or you guys preach it to them. You're the faithful one, so make them feel just terrible. Um, No, not really. Meet together. I think now's a good time just to to challenge you with this i think often as pastors or i mean of course you know the pastors elders we're going to be into meeting together we're going to emphasize it but we give like a million excuses like meet together but you know we understand we understand we understand and we do we know that things come up in people's lives and people travel and things happen But for your perseverance, in order to draw near to God with genuine hearts, in order to hold fast to the truth, and in order to give you an outlet of considering one another, be faithful to meet together. It needs to be a priority that's way up there. Not just, you know, here's everything else in my life, and on the weekends, if it works, I'll go. It doesn't work that way. It needs to be a high priority in your life in order for you to make it to the end. That's what it says. In order for you to draw near, to hold fast, to consider one another. Don't forsake meeting together. Secondly, this one's really close to it, but it is avoid the habit of not meeting together. Look how he says that here. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. I think it kind of helps clarify that, again, the heart in it. There's going to be times in your life, there's going to be times in your schedule, whatever, where things buckle down for you and there's, you know, whatever it might be. And in those times when life gets busy something happens and you are pulled back for a little bit the tendency is that just becomes your new comfortable habit of you know i had extra stuff to do at work these few days i skipped community life group and you know what it's just here's my new habit i don't do it (laughs) i'm more comfortable like just showing up here and there when there's not a lot of engaging to do you pick the scenario and again, you contextualize it for your life. I know jobs and things and how they work. So I'm not acting like there's nothing else going on in your life. But your perseverance depends on you meeting together, not neglecting to meet together, not making that your habit. So just look at your own life. Is that your habit of finding a reason not to show up to church? or to church functions, or to some gathering of believers where you can worship, where you can hear truth, hold fast to, or you can encourage one another. Meet together. Avoid the habit of not meeting together. And then when you meet together, encourage one another. So again, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. That there's a purpose beyond, when you come here, there's a purpose of engaging one another to encourage one another. There's a high calling for the pastors, for the elders of a church, to encourage and to teach and to lead. But it takes one another encouraging one another to really continue that discipleship and sanctification. I can tell you there's few things that excite my heart more as a pastor than when I find out about like private discipleship that's going on one believer reaching out to another believer to encourage them in the church to be a blessing in some way. And you realize there's a sign they're considering Jesus. And from that, they're considering one another. Again, I know time and personalities, it'll be different the way you engage one another, the way you encourage one another. But be creative, plan, think through how you can encourage one another. Meet together. Don't let it become the habit that you don't meet together. Encourage one another, and then finally do this with increasing priority and purpose. I'll read all of verse twenty-five. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. With increasing priority and purpose. You know, don't get lazy. In it. If we learned anything from Revelation, we learned that. The last days are upon us. And don't worry, I'm not like predicting that, you know, someday next week it's all over. Um, but when Jesus Christ came and brought in the new covenant, he ushered in the age to come. Right now we're living as those dual citizens in the age that is passing away as members of the age to come, kingdom children living here in this earth. And we're told all through Scripture that as the day approaches, Truth will be under attack more and more. Fervency for the word will be under attack more and more. Men will grow weary and frustrated and fall away. We, we see that. Truth is under attack. We all face discouragement and frustration. And on our race to the end, in order to endure to the end... Our encouragement of one another, our buckling down to draw near to God, to hold fast to the truth, to consider one another, it needs to grow in its intensity and its purpose. So as we see these things, don't walk away from it now thinking, all right, here's my list of things I now have to perform for God. Remember the basis of it. Because the person in the work of Jesus Christ, because the Spirit that is given to us, that we rely on and we move forward with, because of those things, because of the truth we know in the power of the Spirit, let us draw near to God. Let's do it over and over again through the means that He gives us with pure hearts, undivided allegiance. Let us hold fast. Hold fast to truth. Hang on even in the down and out times. And let us consider one another to really give time and thought how we can provoke one another to have our affections warmed for Christ, to be moved forward in our sanctification. And just some real simple things. Meet together. Don't get in the habit of not meeting together. When you meet together, encourage one another. And it needs to grow and it's intensity and its purpose. All right. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll transition into our time of the Lord's Supper together. Lord, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your kindness in our lives.